Welcome to the Live Leadership Podcast with myself, Leela Singh. All things coaching, career, and personal branding. This podcast is for ambitious career professionals like you, wanting to create a life of choice and freedom, to be, do, and have more through overcoming limitations, to develop new perspectives and insights, and to redefine your success, be that in work, health, relationships, and so much more. In today's podcast, I'm going to be speaking to Marla Subramaniam. Marla inspires people to go beyond their traditional thinking in solving business problems. Her talks, a blend of Eastern and Western philosophies for business communications, are full of original ideas, stories, and business cases that illustrate key lessons. And so is her book, Beyond Wind, published earlier this year, which has been featured in CEO World, Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, Thrive Global, as well as on several podcasts. Marla is a corporate speaker, executive coach, and cross-cultural trainer. She spent over 20 years in influential marketing and strategy roles at global companies, including IBM, GE Healthcare, and Dun & Bradstreet, as well as in Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Marla has led webinars and on-site courses and provided coaching for Cognizant and Meltwater, amongst others. And her cross-cultural talks have reached Lincoln Financial, The Hartford, Comcast, Williams-Sonoma, NASDAQ, and many more across the US and India. In today's episode, Marla will be sharing with us the importance of embracing and adapting to change how we must learn to build relationships before we do business. Communication, how to leverage this to overcome cross-cultural challenges and cultivate stronger relationships. How to go beyond behaviors when interacting with others. And why showing up from a place of courage versus fear can create an entirely new experience. So let's head over and hear what Marla has to say. Marla, good morning and welcome to the My Brand HQ podcast. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. It's a beautiful day here in San Diego, California. And how is it there and how are you doing? Um, it's great. It's very cloudy. It's London, of course, um, but thankfully it's not raining today. And uh, yes, and I'm really excited to, to chat to you today. So thank you for taking the time to, to hop on this interview with me. Um, I'd like to dive straight in and ask you, what was the biggest challenge that you faced during your career and how did you overcome this? That's, that's a uh, really, really critical question for me because, you know, I uh, moved from India to the United States, did my MBA. And I started my career in banking. And uh, one of the things about me is that is a I'm a catalyst for change. Wherever I go, I feel like I need to bring about change, whether it is professional or social. And that was very uh, difficult, particularly in some of the organizations that I work which were fairly bureaucratic, very disciplined, and, you know, kind of a channeled in their thinking. And I would come in, you know, I didn't start in a typical traditional career in banking. 
of being a lending officer after an MBA. That was a route most people, graduates took. And I went into market research. And market research is a great place to start because you try to understand the market. And I went into banking and I found out that uh, banking had credit and non-credit services. And the credit officers had a very poor rating among customers. And I went and found out what was causing the poor rating because the credit officers were not able to talk about the non-credit products. So I went in and I had to go up to a very senior level to present the results. And there was a lot of opposition from the salespeople and I had to go up a very high level and I was able to convince the people that they need to train the credit officers. It was challenging. It took me three months to do, I mean, I must have done about a hundred presentations. Finally, they got it. And this is what happened to me in every company. When I worked for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, it was very traditional healthcare. And we were migrating to a managed care setting. And I felt that the company had to change the way they were doing business and the way they were handling customers, the customer satisfaction. Again, I did research, I went there and every step of the way, and I was in the C-suite when the president said, Mala, we're tired of hearing you saying the same old thing that the customers are not happy. Now I want you to take charge of this and do something about it. And that's when I became a director of strategic planning and change management, and I made that happen. So in every company, that was the biggest challenge is I wanted to bring about change, but change for a logical reason, not because I wanted to prove myself any better than others. And it was the logic that I had to fight the resistance that people put up with me. And in that, or in those situations, would it have been easier to just go with the flow and just accept what was, or what pushed you to really overcome that? You, you see, the, one of the important things about uh, this is, I would say I'm an authentic person. I have to be true to myself. So I would not, I would have quit my job if I had to basically say, okay, I'm going to accept. So to me, I think the biggest struggle I would have is with myself if I accepted things as they were, when I knew that it should not be that way. Mm -hmm. So that, that comes back to your integrity and what you stand for. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. And, and so tell me then, you know, you relocated from India to the US. What were the biggest cultural differences that you faced? I think the relationship. Um, in India, um, you know, whether you were in a work or school or home or social setting, the relationship comes before the business starts. You build a relationship and then you start working with people. Even now that is the case. You cannot negotiate with a stranger in India. You know, you have to build a relationship. And here in this country, in the United States, it was more transaction driven. So you would work on a project with somebody and that's it after that, you had to forget that and you have to move on you work with clients, you move on. So that, that was a big contradiction uh, in my mind is, oh my God, I left behind everybody. 
you know, I'm moving on to another project. So I think it is the relationship. So building a relationship before you work on a project. So for me, working on a project with strangers was a big challenge culturally, because mm -hmm. I'm not used to that. So that was, I would say, the biggest difference I found. I mean, of course, there are a lot of differences. You know, the time orientation is different. Uh, you know, I was in a, in a business setting. I was invited to a wedding and she said, Molly, you have to be there. You're going to be the main person, be there. And I landed there two hours late because I did. I mean, that's the way Indian weddings happen. You walk in and walk out and be part of the whole uh, thing. So it's the timing differences there and the status hierarchy. You know, uh, in, uh, in the bank, when I started, I wouldn't speak in front of my boss. You know, my boss would take me for after we did a market research project and they'd say, okay, Mala's the expert. I'm going to bring her in. I would go there and he would be talking and I wouldn't say anything. He would come out and say, Mala, I'm going to wring your neck the next time you do this because I'm bringing you in as an expert and I look like a fool because I can't answer those questions. And I explained to him what it was. And then he gave me permission, you know, and once I got the permission, I started talking. So it's, there was some hierarchical, but the biggest challenge I had was the relationship. And how did you find other people responded to you in that situation? Because I'm guessing you still try to build those relationships whilst you were doing business. So if the people around you weren't used to that culture, how, how did you deal with that? Or how did they respond to you? I think there were some people who were familiar with the Asian culture, so they knew and they would sit me down and say, this is the way things happen here, Mala, you have to accept it. And there are some who were really, you know, shocked by it, that I wanted to, you know, I started asking personal questions and I wanted to have lunch with them and everything, and they were turned off. So I was turning off people. And then there were the third who were, neither turned off nor, uh, you know, welcoming that, but still played along. And, and that's what I see in cross-cultural thing. People who are, you know, upset uh, by it, shocked by it, and people who are tolerant, and then people who are, go out of their way to help understanding what your values are. Okay, interesting, very interesting. And so then how did you get involved in cross-cultural training? That's an interesting, um, you know, I, uh, when I left IBM, uh, that was uh, sometime in 2005, uh, you know, I was wondering, what do I do next? You know, I worked with all the big companies, Dun & Bradstreet, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, IBM, Chase Manhattan. So now where do I go now? And uh, then a friend of mine uh, called me and she said, Amala, uh, you know, I've heard you speak and I'm in a technical field and I'm now migrating to a leadership training role where I have to coordinate all the training and I don't know, I'm afraid to speak. And where do I go? Do you have any suggestions? So I gave her names of firms that do all this training. And she, uh, you know, she went to one, she was not happy. She came back and she said, Mala, I'm where I started. And then I joked with her and I said, maybe I should train you. And she said, Wonderful, I would love it. 
And, and I was like, okay, just come on over sometime, you know, to, to my house. She's a friend and I'll teach you. She said, no, no, no. I, I want to pay you for it. And I want you to do it formally. So I did the training, eight sessions, and she was up and about and she was, you know, speaking. She said, Malu, I would like you to come in because Cognizant is where I did that. Cognizant is a, an outsourcing, uh, you know, hub. People go, uh, a lot of American firms, a lot of firms all over the world go to Cognizant to uh, have the, you know, IT services done. So uh, she said, we I would like you to uh, think because there are a lot of people, other people training, but you are from India. So you understand the difficulties that Indians face and the bulk of the employees are Indians. Can you do training? So I started training. I did training in uh, presentation skills, communications, teamwork, consulting, and negotiation. And uh, then one day she called and she said, Mala, we have to, now we are teaching all the Indians how to work with the Americans. Now we would like to kind of expose Americans to the Indian culture. Can you represent us? Can you go to clients and talk about India and how to work with Indians and you are a third party neutral. It's not like somebody from Cognizant. So you can be uh, kind of an adjunct for Cognizant. So I started traveling the United States representing Cognizant and talking to people about how to interact with Indians. And you know, there are a lot of companies that were saying, oh my God, I wish we had this lecture before because we thought the problem was with the projects or with the people, we never knew that it was cross-cultural communications that was breaking down. And now you're kind of awakening us and it cost a lot of goodwill for Cognizant. So that's when uh, I became an I, I think from 2007 till about 2015, I was traveling the United States on behalf of Cognizant uh, doing training. And then a couple of Indian firms heard about me. They wanted me to come to India and train their employees. And then they had clients here in the United States who said, oh, we heard you speak. And so I became a pretty soon, I became a cross-cultural expert. <laughs> so you kind of fell into it, but almost naturally based on, on your experiences, your background, your expertise, your training, right? Exactly. Because I had, I would say I had the pulse of both the countries. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up in India. I know all about Indian values and how Indians think and act. And then I am here, I've lived here longer than I have lived in, the, uh, in India and I worked here also. So I know the professional, the corporate and the social values. And so I was able to speak fluently about India and about the United States to each other and you know, some of the Indians who sat in my class when I would speak to the Americans said, oh my God, I didn't even know I was behaving like that. Now I know. <laughs> so I think it is because I had the pulse of both nations. And, and, and that's what uh, one of the uh, clients that heard me speak said, you know, Mal, we did have uh, uh, somebody from the United States who was born and raised here who went to India and you know, spent a little bit of time and he came in and he spoke about India, but he's not speaking from the heart like you are. You are explaining how Indians think. 
more than how they act. And we're all looking how Indians act rather than how they think. So that, that made the difference. And I'm guessing that was very eye-opening for, for both parties almost. Yes. Because even with the Indians, you know, not just Indians, but anyone, we tend to do things often without thinking. So having you almost showing them why their behaviors are the way they are because of how they've been brought up, their cultures, their values, how they then think, it's, it, it's opening their eyes as well as the locals, the Americans, being able to understand them better so they can build a greater rapport together. Yeah, I, I think one simple thing was, um, you know, um, how Indians will never say no. Uh, and, and this is everybody knows, it's not something, you know, earth shattering. Um, they won't say no. And they will say, I'll try. And the Americans will think, okay, they're gonna try. And so the Americans, then they found out that they were not trying, they, they were not doing. And so when you, when you ask the Americans, they'll say that is so dishonest. And the Indians will say, you know, I, I thought I told the Americans that, I, oh, that we cannot do the project. And I said, I'll try is not saying no. <laughs> and then to the Americans, I'll say, they're not being dishonest. They don't want to be rude to you. So for them, the indirect and the direct communications was the biggest communication breakdown. Mm. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Huh? <laughs> Um, so tell me, I mean, whilst we're recording this interview, we're in November 2020, we've had everyone's experienced an incredibly different year to what anyone could have anticipated, the challenges that COVID has brought, um, the impact on the working culture for many, many people, and the fact that a lot of people are now working remotely. Mm -hmm. So being someone who is very engaged and involved in cross-cultural training, how can one be culturally sensitive in a virtual setting, given that now the majority of, let's call them office workers, are working remotely? That's, that's a great um, you know, question, uh, Leela, because I think um, you know, a lot of people think, okay, we are in a pandemic, who cares about cross-cultural? You know, we have to work, we have to produce, and we're all under a lot of stress. And I get this question all the time. And to me, this is a perfect opportunity to sit back and say, I mean, everybody is facing a crisis. Do I want to add to the crisis by causing more cross-cultural communication breakdowns and everything? What can I do to make the other person feel comfortable in interacting with me? So I think that is the mindset, that, that is a change in mindset. It's not about finishing projects. It's about finishing projects with the collaboration of everyone. I mean, what people have to realize is there is some value in every person. You're from India and you're technically, you know, um, inclined. So how can I use the technical inclination? I can't use it if I'm being abrupt or direct in my style, or if I'm, you know, doing something to turn them off. And the same way the other person has to say, 
Hey, it's, it's, it's wonderful to, you know, every Indian that I've talked to said, we love to work with people in the United States. They are always rewarding, appreciating. So you want the appreciation and you want the recognition and you want to work with them uh, and learn from them because they're very time driven and money is time, time is money. So if you want to learn from them, be open, try to learn from that culture. So I think people have to expand their thinking during this time. And they have to see this as an opportunity. There is time now. You know, what, what took me along, like for instance, if I had to go into work, I had to drive into work, spend all the time and spend, you know, I mean, when you go to work, you're kind of interacting, chit-chatting and coffee clutches and everything. You have nothing. You're able to finish your project in half the time that it would take you if you had to go into work and do all the other things, paraphernalia that you need to do while going into work. So you have the time, you have the luxury of time. Go on the internet, learn about them, you know, and, and, and try to work with them, you know, take this as a challenge. So that's uh, the thing and the important thing, and this may answer many other questions you might have. So sorry if I beat you with, but I think this is one of the things I teach in teamwork is we need to have ground rules in interaction. So when you're working with people from other cultures, set some ground rules for interaction and come up with ground rules that have a consensus, you know, that both of you agree uh, on the ground rules. And I remember when, when I was teaching conflict resolution uh, in a company, I said, the biggest problem is you're interacting without any ground rules. You're coming up with this and the other person. So have some common ground rules, you know, no interruptions. Uh, if there is a manager, uh, an employee uh, in India would not speak, you know, so set some rules for the, and give some allowance for the employee to speak in front of the manager or the boss or the client. So I think ground rules, setting some ground rules would really be helpful in a virtual setting. Awesome, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's really helpful, but at the same time, there might be people who might be thinking, well, does that even matter? Why do they need to get to dedicate that time to understanding the cross-cultural issue? So what would you say to that? I, I would say if you want to complete your project, achieve your goals, take this into consideration because you need input from everyone. If you're working, if you're in an office, in an office setting, physically there, it's different. Here, even though you have all the people, you're on your own. Your accomplishments, what you do becomes more visible. You're kind of, it's transparent. So do you want to expose yourself that way? Why not take the help of other people? Why not become friendly with people and say, I, you know, why can't you say, oh, which part of uh, the United States do you come from? Or what is the main uh, food there? What restaurants are there? You know, try to build that relationship and understanding so that you can accomplish your project and nobody is wiser. You're not exposing yourself by uh, doing that. To me, uh, it is more important in, in this kind of a, a crisis situation to build that relationship 
and to be more understanding and to build that cross-cultural communication platform for people to work with each other more collaboratively and achieve more. Did that address? It does, it makes complete sense. And if I just turn that around a little bit, how would you say the pandemic itself is impacting cross-cultural communications, if at all? I, I think the, the main thing is that people who were able to work in a physical setting where people were interacting with each other, now they have to do it virtually. It has turned everything virtual. And also, I think uh, people are really, um, there is a fear, anxiety. And when people are afraid, they are always asking this question. And this is something that I write in my book. When somebody is in fear, it means they are asking the question, what about me? What is going to happen to me? Whereas if, you, uh, if you're a courageous person or if you have courage, you're asking what is happening to the other person and how can I help? So I think in a pandemic, what is happening is everybody is basically in fear mode. They are wondering, oh, what is going to happen to me? And they're not thinking. Uh, and, and that's why it is very important for people to have that cross-cultural communications or communications training where cross-cultural is part of it. See, I, I don't believe that we should just focus on cross-cultural communications. I think communications on a broader level with ground rules and everything and cross-cultural should be an integral part of that training. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you say there, it's fear versus courage and right now, the majority of people are showing up from a place of fear, which means that that adversely impacts decision-making behaviors, the experiences they're having, the experiences that other people are having with them. So I think a big part of that is, is developing our own self-awareness of, of how we're showing up and, and what we can do differently to create a shift in ourselves to be showing up from a place of courage, as you say, so we can focus on serving the people around us and, and showing up as our best self. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely, you know, you phrased it very well. I think uh, what, what I think both of us are getting at is this is an opportunity for personal and professional development. Yeah. Develop, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of companies um, and I, uh, I was talking to somebody who right now they're offering yoga, meditation, exercises, relaxation techniques. So those are things that companies can do. And, you know, that itself is cross-cultural. Where does yoga come from? You know, it comes from India. So, you know, that itself, you know, trying to put people um, in a room, like, I mean, I think HR people can do this, you know, get everybody on virtually, you know, teach them yoga, teach them how to do meditation relaxation techniques and pretty much you know you have people who are going to stop asking what about me and start asking what can I do for the other person yeah absolutely and I do hope I think there's a lot of focus actually companies are on mental health challenges the fact that that's being exacerbated by the pandemic um so it's a case of who's prepared to invest in, in bringing those people in to, to support their employees. And let me ask you, how can we go beyond, beyond the behaviors that you've mentioned when interacting with other cultures? 
you know, it's, it's like the behaviors are like, it's on the tip of the iceberg. It's outside, external. Like you may be smiling, but I will not know what you're thinking. You know, you may be upset, you may be angry, but I will not be able to figure out what is causing that. And so to me, when you are interacting with somebody and you're interacting on the basis of behavior, to me, that is a reaction. You're being emotional. You're reacting to the person. And it is imperative that we respond to the person. How do you respond? By understanding where that person is coming from. What is motivating? What is driving that behavior? Who's that person? So you have to reach the person rather than the external behavior. And and that is why it is very important to go beyond behaviors. And it doesn't matter whether we are in a pandemic state or whether in a crisis state, I think anytime we interact with anybody, it doesn't matter whether it's cultural or cross-cultural or you know, same to same uh, communication, important thing is you don't react. And reaction only happens when you're looking at the other person and the behavior. So if the Indian is sitting in a, you know, in a room uh, full of uh, boss and clients and everything and is silent throughout, you cannot come to the conclusion that that guy is dumb or that woman is dumb. You, you are now reacting. So I think the important thing is how to respond and not react. Mm -hmm. Something I talk about a lot, response versus reaction. Good. <laughs> And so how would you advocate people to do that? Because if you think that um, when I talk, when we talk about corporate culture, um, there's a belief amongst a lot of people that they shouldn't bring, for example, their personal challenges or whatever's going on for them into the workplace. So they have this facade where, like you say, they're smiling, but you don't know what's going on inside. And for some people, they're uncomfortable or they don't want to be seen as vulnerable um, or, or share their insecurities around what's really going on. So how can we do that? When you talk about seeing past the behaviors to, to what's really going on for them to then understand why they're behaving in a certain way or doing what they're doing, what one thing would you say you'd recommend to people to, to help break past that? I think the, the biggest thing is your ego. Because when, when someone is saying something to you or uh, thing, your ego comes up. And what is ego? It's basically me and I. You know, this person has said this to me, how dare he? And, you know, so kind of, uh, I'm not saying, you know, ego is important because ego establishes your identity. Ego gives you both the, uh, the power um, and uh, you know, a sense of uh, responsibility yeah, uh, because of the identification. But if you hold on to that power and let go of your thing, that's when it becomes a problem. So when I'm, say for instance, a client says, uh, Mala, you're scheduled to do uh, their training. Uh, now I've decided instead of two hours, I want you to train for three hours. This happened to me. So I, I'm giving a live example. You have to do uh, training for three hours and I want you to do back to back, you know, before you were scheduled to do this training, three, three training sessions, 
over a period of three days, but we're cutting short, budget is short. So we want you to finish all the training within a day and a half and return. And so we don't want to pay you the extra uh, uh, thing. So I could have reacted. I could have said, no way, I'm not gonna do that. That's not possible, you know, I mean, Instead, I asked the five whys, which is uh, very important in change management. Why does this person want me to cram, you know, three sessions in a day and a half? Uh, you know, what is going on? So the five whys, why, 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 led me to the answer that she was under stress because the budget had been cut and um, she could not pay me. And so then we worked out a solution. I said, okay, then I will pay for the second day and I will do the training, you know? So in the, in the long run, I gained because it built a, built a nice rapport because she now understood that I care about her problem. So we built a relationship and then she had me do a lot more, you know, I did training for about uh, 12, 13 years. So I think, uh, it is going beyond not, not reacting. And, and that happens in every, every situation. In a meeting, somebody says something, you're reacting. So my biggest advice is when somebody says something that hurts you, and don't take it, first of all, don't take it personally. Don't be defensive. Defend, but not defensive. Pause and ask the question, I know this person, why is she saying that? I've never heard her say that. What is causing her to say? You know, that kind of a basic uh, a humanitarian approach uh, helps. I hope that addressed your... <laughs> oh, absolutely, it does. And you just reminded me of a book that I recommend to a lot of my clients, um, The Four Agreements. I'm not sure if you've come across it, but one of the things in one of the four points, four agreements, and one of them is to don't take things personally. Look at where that other person is coming from in their behavior, their reaction, what they're saying. And it's not about you. Most of the time, it's not personal. It's about where they're at at that point in time. Exactly. Because when I used to, and I learned this by doing a lot of market research presentations. And I, you know, at one point I was uh, overseeing other people. Um, and there was one PhD uh, was very brilliant. I mean, really brilliant. Uh, and we both would make a presentation when he made a presentation, when people challenged him and said, did you ask enough people? Was there enough in the sample? And his thing was, I have a PhD. I've been doing this for 10 years. And, and, and my thing is calm down. They don't care whether you have a PhD or they are just objecting because they're upset with the results. It's going to impact their bonus. So address the problem. You know, why are they asking? So that is an important lesson I, I learned while making all these presentations. So don't react to people because their behavior is not who they are. You know, something else is bothering them. And by you becoming defensive, you're going to aggravate the situation. Mm. The solution then. Yeah. Very, very insightful. Some great shares throughout this discussion, Marla. So thank you so much. And to finish off, I'd like to ask you, you became a published author back in March 
and your book Beyond Wins is now available to buy it. And, and, and tell me more about the book. What inspired you to write it? And, and, and what are you what are you looking to or how rather are you looking to serve people through this book? Wonderful. Um, basically, when I was laid off by IBM uh, in 2005, I was actually uh, sitting outside in the parking lot. And I said, oh my God, I've been laid off by the biggest. <laughs> and where do I go from here? And, and then I sat down and I was there for about three or four hours sitting in the parking lot. And I looked back at my career and I said, every step of the way, I was trying to win. I was trying to get something. And I didn't care about how many people I took on the journey. You know, I think made many enemies among friends, colleagues, and uh, vendors, partners. And I said, what did I achieve in the end? You know, so was that, uh, you know, uh, is that who I am? You know, I'm from India, and India is all about long-term relationships and about, uh, you know, and not about quick wins. So, I understood the difference between winning and succeeding. You know, winning is an event, a beginning and an end. And you win when you win, somebody else loses. And with it comes a lot of other losses. Success to me is a journey where you're building relationships and results. So I'm going beyond wins then. And, and that is the revelation I had. And I, for 10 years, I taught in um, Cognizant. I taught all of them about negotiation. And, and negotiation doesn't mean like a sales or labor negotiation where you're sitting across a table, a hostage negotiation. You're trying to think those are all win-loss situation. I'm talking about negotiating on an everyday professional life in companies to achieve projects. So those principles help because to me, you have to balance between results and relationship. In that way, you're succeeding and you're making the company that you're working for succeed too. So that is the revelation I had and I said, um, so when I was teaching, you know, one person uh, in the audience said, you know, I have been attending uh, classes in Harvard and uh, uh, thing, but what you're teaching is you're asking me to change my mindset before I employ all those tools and techniques. So you should write a book so people can read it before they <laughs> go attend a class on negotiation because you're asking me to change. It's just like, you know, I always tell people it's like Weight Watchers. You go there and you get all the techniques and tools, but if your mindset is the same, you're not going to lose weight, you know, or you might lose, but you might win, but in the long, it, it's not going to be a success. It's not going to be a long journey. So uh, that uh, was the beginning of writing this book. So, and I felt like uh, I could take, um, you know, some examples from Indian principles and to, uh, to cite in the book so that uh, you know, yeah, people can uh, gain from it before they go into uh, negotiating at work. And negotiation, like I said, is not 
you know, hardcore negotiation. It's like, how do you achieve your projects? And what are the principles that are important? So one of the principles is about fear and courage. One of, you know, the other principle is about reacting versus responding. And, you know, don't blame others. So dare to dream. And silence is not a technique. Silence is who you are. So these are some of the things that I uh, talk about in the book so people get prepared. And I think it got a lot of uh, publicity in a lot of uh, thing. And I was invited by Dartmouth to speak uh, in their negotiation class. So that's my, uh, my goal is to teach uh, anybody in corporate, uh, in the corporate world, you know, here it is, here are the principles to succeed and learn from it. And it sounds as though it, it what you've written in there, it's, um, it's a blend of those kind of Eastern and the Western philosophies. So what you've learned throughout your entire journey and bringing that together yes. into this book to, to share with other people. Absolutely. It is, it is a blend of East and West, um, you know, Western, principle of independent thinking and time orientation and the time value of money and the Eastern principle of long-term results, long-term relationships. Mm. Fantastic. So Marla, I'd like to say thank you so much for chatting with me today. You have shared some incredible nuggets of gold in terms of our interactions with people culturally, in terms of building those relationships, the importance of that, and how we can make that work. So I'd recommend if you're listening to this and you've gained some value that you do check out Beyond Wins, which is available on Amazon by Marla Subramanian. And Marla, I'd like to say thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure discussing with you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so. And if you enjoyed and gained value from today's episode, then do please leave a review telling us your key learnings and what you enjoyed the most. And do please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can spread the word on life leadership, creating a life of choice, freedom and new possibilities. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn and if you would like to learn more about how we can work together, either DM me on LinkedIn or email me. All details and resources can be found in the show notes.